You're listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation with Carrie Nixon and Rebecca Gwilt, a podcast for novel and disruptive healthcare business leaders seeking to transform how we receive and experience healthcare. Hi, everyone. This is Carrie Nixon with Decoding Healthcare Innovation. I am delighted to be joined today by Petter Asa, who is the founder of Vitala. Vitala, if you are interested in looking them up on the web, can be found at V-I-T-A-L-A dot health. And that's one of those interesting sort of uh, suffixes to the dot com uh, thing that, that can throw things off. So I wanted to make sure that you knew how to, found, to find them. But Vitala, interestingly, is based in Sweden. They are now entering the U.S. market and they are a digital therapeutics platform for the prescription and monitoring and management of diagnostic-specific medical exercise. So Peter, welcome to the show. Uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your background, and talk to us about how you came about to found Vitala. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Carrie, and, and super happy to be here. Uh, I've been listening to a, to a few, uh, a couple of previous episodes, and, and I'm very happy and honored to, to, to be part of the show. But yeah, my, my name is uh, Pedro Asa. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Vitala, like you said. And uh, well, my background is actually, maybe from what I'm seeing, actually, a lot of entrepreneurs within the health tech space are actually not coming from a clinician's uh, standpoint, and they're not clinicians themselves. But yeah, I was the first one in our big family back in Sweden that didn't go into either medicine or physical therapy. Uh, I wanted to go into finance instead, but that was uh, short-lived as I quickly, after a couple of years working within finance, found myself uh, founding my first company within the digital health space. So uh, Vitala is our second company. I founded it along with my brother, Jesper, who's a medical doctor. And we are so happy to be part of this global shift towards preventative healthcare and uh, having one of the many solutions to uh, really help patients with chronic health conditions become more active in their overall healthcare plans in order to obviously boost the patient outcomes at a lower overall healthcare cost. And uh, yeah, we, we do that. We have a platform, just like you said, um, consists of a care portal for the providers themselves. Uh, so they can quickly prescribe, monitor, manage the specific software as a medical device or the mobile app for the patients that is able to custom tailor daily physical activity depending on the patient's unique combinations of medical diagnosis, their functional ability, musculoskeletal pains, daily forms, and uh, obviously their goals and preferences. So, Petter, I mentioned when I described Vitala that um, you prescribe medically appropriate condition-specific exercises. Can you talk a little bit more about that in particular? I think that's a bit of a differentiator for you all. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, when we're looking at exercise or, or specifically physical activity that is part of the patient's overall medical treatment plan, then there's a certain aspects that, that we take into account. And uh, if you're looking at the broad range of diagnosis, you need to make sure that you can do it uh, or prescribe something to the patients that's always going to be safe for them. Safety is number one. And then we're looking at efficiency or, or how can we actually make, make the medical treatment more efficient through our own services. So we, we can generate, I mean, we're live from multiple therapeutic areas, everything from oncology, cardiology, neurology, but also now very big within primary care or within um, outpatient settings, 
helping patients become more active in the treatment plans to either prevent diseases or to be part of the treatment of certain diseases. So we can generate, uh, let's say, for example, within oncology, if there is a breast cancer patient being uh, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer in Sweden today and they're uh, starting their chemotherapy, then they're automatically being prescribed our service, Vitala, as well to be part in helping them be active or physically active during and after the uh, chemotherapy in order to boost the medical adherence, boost the medical treatment, and uh, yeah, improving the uh, physical and mental well-being of the patients in, in the process. Yeah, I think that's super interesting. You don't typically think of oncology as um, a condition that would require some you know specific exercises, but Certainly it does. And I'm, I'm really like pleased to see the emphasis on that use case in particular. So, you know, you are in Sweden. You have started out, uh, you know, in the EU. Tell, tell us a little bit about the traction that you've gotten in the EU, about your clientele there and sort of how your services work uh, in what are largely, I think, single payer systems. Is that right? Yeah, uh, both within, I mean, a single payer and multi-payer systems in Europe. But uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to share that we just passed uh, having helped over 7,000 patients uh, wow. across the Nordics. We are integrated into, uh, well, in Sweden, it's, I think, eight out of 10 of the largest uh, hospitals. We're working with the two largest uh, private healthcare providers as well. So across the Nordics, we, um, we are able to show uh, our services are, are um, doing what they're supposed to do or that we can show that it's an evident, evidence-based model through physical activity that we can help the patients. So that's the traction that we have in Europe right now. But obviously, if, if you're looking at the, the Europe versus the US or Sweden specifically, we are a large player in a small pond, I would say. Uh, and uh, Sweden is an amazing market to show the efficacy of your product and, and uh, build the case for these types of, of proactive digital therapeutics, but it's not the market that you're necessarily scaling as a startup. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And congratulations for all of the successes in Sweden and the other Nordic countries. You know, I, I, I suspect that that has allowed you to collect a significant amount of data and clinical evidence that will be very, very useful to you uh, as you enter the U.S. market, tell us a little bit, of, you know, further about what made you decide decide to enter the U.S. market, and sort of how you are thinking about your market entry into the U.S. Absolutely, it's a it's a very good question. I think we could probably spend uh, the entirety of today just uh, talking about these different questions. But uh, from a big uh, or, or from a broader perspective. The decision to enter into the U.S. It, it's a, the simple answer is just that it's a it's a much larger market. This is the big carrot for I guess all of the European healthcare startups. They want, want to make it into the U.S. because this is where the money is. Uh, essentially, in Sweden, we don't necessarily have the reimbursement systems, and we don't really have the um, the system in place to really scale these sort of of uh, healthcare services. But uh, in the U.S., we see more and more of that happening now, thanks, thanks to the CMS as well. And uh, so the decision to, to make it across the U.S. Or, or make it across the pond to the U.S. was uh, a fairly simple one. But doing so is a lot harder than uh, what I would uh, 
yeah, initially suspect, but but I guess you have to be a little bit of naive in the beginning. But um, yeah, quickly but, quickly establishing uh, and, and finding the right people to help you is key. Yeah, that's right. I um, I you know, it's almost a good thing probably that some of your your colleagues, uh, uh, startup colleagues overseas, don't necessarily know what they're getting into when they enter the U.S. market because it might sort of dissuade them. But but you know. I have found that once folks from, you know, with, with overseas companies um, in the healthcare space sort of find, as you said, the right people to help them get educated on how our system works and how it's different, uh, you know, the glide path smooths a little bit. So, so it really is important to find those, those right partners. So, you know, I believe that, that you are focusing uh, in large part around this new concept called remote therapeutic monitoring. Can you tell us a little bit about why you're focusing your efforts there? You know, not that you are sort of limiting yourself there, but, but, but why is it that this concept of remote therapeutic monitoring is useful and helpful for patients who really can benefit from some type of exercise program? Yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. And uh, for all the listeners there as well, may- maybe I can take a step back and-, and just talk about these remote therapeutic monitoring or the RTM codes that I will be referring to them as. And uh, the RTM codes is essentially the next breed, I would say, uh, from the RPM codes. It serves to monitor non-physiologic non-physiolog- patient data for specifically the musculoskeletal and respiratory system to help with therapy adherence, therapy response, and tracking pain as well from these patients. So uh, it, it makes it uh, for, for a quite a different case than from the traditional or not traditional, but the little older RPM codes, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because it's uh, self-reported data and you don't really need any external devices to, to capture this data. So for us, essentially what it means is that when we're working with diagnosis-specific medical exercise for the patients, which is part of, of um, which can be qualified for these new R- RTM codes provided by the CMS. It means that when a provider wants to obviously provide better care for their patients, now they can also earn additional revenue streams from it. So today, how it works uh, for a provider in the US, if they're prescribing Vitala acid digital therapy for their patients in order to slow down disease progression, lowering the risk of comorbidities or medical complications, increasing the physical and mental well-being for them. Uh, they can do all of this, but now they also make additional revenue streams from it. Uh, I think the first month from this new RTM codes, the physician or the provider themselves can make up to $150 per patient. And then uh, it's uh, over $100 uh, continuously um, for these different patients that have Vitala as uh, yeah, their digital therapy during their medical treatment plan. Yeah, and I, you know, I want to hone in on a few things that you've said there. You know, you've referenced sort of the the RTM, the remote therapeutic monitoring codes, and you know, this is a, this is a probably a pretty significant distinction between the U.S. market and and the EU. Um, a lot of our healthcare is provided on a fee for service system, whereby various things are paid as they are ordered and and done. And so the remote therapeutic monitoring codes really uh, 
you know, came about, I think, with the belief that this sort of more continuous touch with a patient month over month during the course of their needs for exercise and therapy is going to help them not backslide, but instead progress, uh, you know, not have to come in for additional visits, but by, but still allowing the, the, you know, clinician who is sort of guiding that patient to understand how they're doing with their exercises, right? Do, do they make them feel better? Um, it, it was a particular exercise really painful, that type of thing. And, you know, from my experience in this space, that the, the value there is something that previously was sort of not paid for and reimbursed. And so, you know, we, we always like to say here in the U.S. in healthcare, if it's not paid for, it's not done. And so this is a way to make sure that clinicians are able to, you know, monitor their patients with a much higher touch on a much more sort of longer term basis to manage their care. So, you know, I really, um, I, I commend you for kind of finding that niche in here in the U.S. market and, you know, seizing that opportunity to really make a difference for, for patients while, you know, providing reimbursement for uh, clinicians who otherwise just weren't getting it for helping their patients. Exactly. And, and I think that's key of, of these new reimbursement codes, because what, what it essentially does is that it's, it makes high quality evidence-based care more accessible to all patients. Yes. And that's including populations that have historically been underserved due to barriers to care, such as income, insurance, language, mobility, and, and uh, transportation, and so on. So it's, uh, I, I think it's a big step, but I'm also excited to see what's going to come next, because if we're, we're looking at the evolution uh, of these reimbursement codes from the beginning, one can only speculate what's going to come next. But of course, with Vitala, we don't focus on the specific reimbursement codes from the CMS. We're focusing on providing the best possible care for the patients while also solving a big problem for the providers, which has been that they don't have the right tools or the energy or essentially the time to focus on prevention. So they're stuck just focusing on reactive treatments, uh, which are fine, but uh, and it's not where the future is at, I would say. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I totally hear you. And, and what you're highlighting, you know, are some some differences, I think, in the approaches uh, more classically found in Europe to healthcare, where there, my 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 guess and my understanding is that there's a more there's more focus on preventive services, and in the U.S., where we're very very limited in our, in our emphasis on preventive um, services. We, you know, it is often said that we don't really provide health care here in the U.S. We provide sick care in the U.S. Yeah. And I mean, I, for one, would love to see us move towards providing real health care in the U.S., which includes an emphasis on preventive health. But but, you know, so, so talk a little bit more with us about some of the similarities and some of the differences that you have noted as you are a healthcare in innovator, both in the U.S. and in the EU. Absolutely. And uh, I think the similarities are more, uh, more so than you would think just uh, at, at a first glance. But, but if we're looking at some of the main similarities, and I think they're coming 
uh, or mainly at the core elements. I mean, obviously, the two markets have payers, providers, and patients all working uh, or, or interacting with each other and in extremely complex ways in, in, in both markets. But uh, if we're looking at the similarities, I think the similarities mainly are within the challenges in both markets. In, and that's that we see a shortage of uh, nurses, a shortage of physicians in both markets. There's an aging population, growing prevalence of chronic diseases. Um, and uh, you would think that, you, that the EU or Europe would be more focused on prevention, but unfortunately it isn't. I think uh, around 3% of the total healthcare spending in Europe, or in Sweden at least, is focused on prevention. And mm. I think that uh, kind of mirrors what it's like in the, in the US. But if you're looking at the primary care market specifically, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's some pretty big uh, differences as well. Where in Sweden, it's, mostly, uh, it's basically just uh, capitation uh, for the different primary care clinics. So obviously, they have bigger incentives to provide better care at a lower overall healthcare cost if they want to make some profits. So uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's uh, it's fun to having uh, our, our feet in, in both markets. I think the EU serves uh, for a very good purpose in the beginning. It's very good with government-funded programs to help startups go from zero to something, mm-hmm. and they're very good about building innovation or or feeding innovation. But where, the, where Europe is lacking, or in Sweden specifically, is that we can take everyone from, from zero to innovation, but we can't go from innovation to adaptation. It's very difficult to actually scale your innovative product uh, within these different markets. And that's why I think uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of these European-based healthcare companies emigrating, or at least expanding, from Europe to the US. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh... I think that's that's a super interesting perspective. You know, in my experience, some of the barriers to innovation in the U.S. are sometimes, you know, regulatory barriers. Right? There's a lot of a lot of things you have to navigate and and do and make sure I's are dotted and T's are crossed. Is is the landscape is the regulatory landscape similar in the EU? Is that and and would you say that poses a barrier or more, or more of a barrier here in the U.S.? Uh, I would say there's always a much larger risk uh, doing business in the in the U.S. for several reasons, but uh, but uh, regulatory wise, yeah, th- th- there are bigger hurdles of, of uh, going live in the U.S. Uh, with the FTA and and all these different things. In the EU, we have something similar. We, we have the CE markings uh, as a medical device that you need to go through the MDR specific classifications and rules to uphold a certain standard to, to be called a medical device uh, mm-hmm. and CE mark as a medical device. But uh, other than that, I would say it's uh, much more lenient in Europe than it is in the, in the US, where Europe is much more uh, stricter is when it comes to data protection. So the GD, uh, GDPR is uh, much more strict than what we see in the U.S. or under HIPAA. Yeah, so, and and the CE mark is, again, sort of the equivalent to the FDA uh, regulatory body and FDA registration or, you know, FDA uh, approval stamp here. And and what we're starting to see, I think, is that companies are finding that that the FDA is, is actually now maybe the easier, has some of the easier regulatory pathways 
which was not the case previously. So that so that's sort of an interesting aspect as well. So so let's talk a little bit more about preventive health. You know, you are implementing these remote therapeutic monitoring codes. They're not technically uh, preventive services. They're care management services. I suspect, you know, your long-term vision is to really see your platform as a driver of preventive health. What trends are you sort of seeing that, that make you think that that, that goal could become a reality? Yeah, it, it's a very good question and something that we're talking internally at least every week. And I would say, I mean, some of the trends is that we're seeing, I mean, the, the global shift provo- uh, from reactive treatments to preventive healthcare or proactive treatments. And, and that's basically because uh, some of the things that I listed earlier as well with some of the challenges in uh, both the European and the US-based healthcare systems, we do have an aging population growing prevalence of chronic diseases, uh, rapidly increasing healthcare costs. I mean, in Sweden alone, I think 15 to 20% of the, of the population accounts for over 80 to 85% of the total healthcare costs. So mm-hmm. there are very big incentives in these markets to focus on prevention uh, and, uh, and to do so. But it's been extremely uh, difficult to do. Uh, and... Uh, I am not so sure why, and that's hopefully a, a piece of the puzzle or something that we're trying to solve because we know that the, these different uh, things, if we're looking at prevention uh, and, and what you can actually start working with within prevention, we, we're looking at physical activity that Vitala is specializing in. But then there's also the diets, it's sleep, alcohol and tobacco usage, uh, how you manage stress and, and other of those uh, areas. And we know that these variables account for over 90% of the total health determinants whether a, a person is going to develop a chronic condition and if they have developed a chronic condition, how well would they live with them? So if these variables account for over 90% of the health determinants, then, then why don't we focus more on them? That, that, that's a big question that, that we're trying to solve and that we want to make it possible. Obviously, it comes down to the ways of working for these physicians and nurses and, and these providers. And we want Vitala to be a tool for them to start including these digital therapeutics to boost patient outcomes, to start focusing on prevention in order to obviously save a lot of money uh, on, on the backside or, or in the end, but also providing better care for the patients and really putting the patients in the driver's seats of their own health journey. And uh, that's where we're seeing us today. We're obviously specializing in, in physical activity to be part of both the uh, prevention of disease, but also in the treatment of diseases. But uh, then who knows? Hopefully we're, we're uh, able to show that this is a, it's a good model for scaling as well. And then we have uh, hopefully other digital therapeutics areas or other healthcare startups that can start working on those other variants uh, of preventive prevention. Yeah, I mean, my suspicion is that we don't see more preventive care initiatives because, you know, again, it's, it's not really compensated for. And, and, it, and it seems like it's not appropriately incentivized in, in um, countries in the EU either, in most cases. You know, my hope is that uh, this shift to value-based care, where uh, an ecosystem of providers and clinicians are compensated on keeping a, a, a patient population as healthy as they possibly can, um, will you know, will create some additional incentives to focus on preventive and that we will be moving 
in that direction. But but you know, it's uh, it's it, it's a slow, it's a it's a huge sort of ocean liner to turn, right? It's it's a, it's a big yep. slow ship to turn, and we're only sort of a little just we're making you know slow process and getting there much slower than than many of us would like to see yeah no i, I mean it, it is slow but it's extremely exciting to to be part of it and, and seeing it everything is. happening in in real time yeah. and uh, i just uh, earlier today was talking to someone that is uh, running a outcomes based uh fund basically that they're helping mm-hmm. companies that are outcomes based uh within i mean everything from a integration to society to um, education and, and healthcare as well so there are things popping up every every uh, now and then or, or here and there so I, I think it's a positive outcome uh, for the future at least even though it might take a little bit more time than uh, what we're hoping for yeah yeah well I am really looking forward to seeing how um, Vitala progresses through the market and hopefully brings some of that, you know, not only sort of care management, but but emphasis on preventive care to providers here in the U.S. Um, and before I let you go, I would love to hear your take on one piece of advice, um, one or more pieces of advice that you would give to a company who has already gotten some traction um, in the EU or overseas otherwise when they're coming into the U.S. market. Uh, I would say, probably fitting for this podcast as well, I would say find your right uh, regulatory and compliance partners because that that is the hardest thing for for a startup coming uh, overseas to to navigate through. And it's just uh, massive amounts of time and energy and money uh, that can be saved by by finding the right partners within the areas that you're not an expert in uh, yourself or or, uh, actually maybe not even just an expert, but far from you're a novice within these different things because the healthcare system uh, in the U.S. is a jungle and it's extremely hard to navigate. So that would be my number one tip. I mean, I can't say I don't like that. In fact, <laughs> I like it a lot. And I promise everyone, I did not pay him to say that. <laughs> you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. All right. I think that's actually a great place to close out today's episode. Thanks so much, Petter, for joining us. And we'll hope to talk to you again in the near future. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Till next time. See you on the next episode of Decoding Healthcare Innovation. Thank you for listening to Decoding Healthcare Innovation. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more about Carrie, me, or Nixon Gwilt Law, go to nixongwiltlaw.com or click the links in the show notes.